Yeah, well, thank you very much for coming along. And uh, this is uh, the start of the series on work, which is a topic which is very close to my heart, as always been, um, kind of very, very briefly. Um, I'm a lawyer, and I'll talk about that a bit more later on. Um, but I've always been fascinated by kind of the, the topic of work, because uh, when I was a, a teenager, I was a very, very keen Christian, and uh, sort of grew up and went to university, and was a very, very keen Christian there, and, uh, and then started work, and found that despite the fact that I had been involved in the church for the whole of my life, 20-odd years by the time I started work, no one had ever prepared me for the world of work, and no one ever talked to me what it was going to be like. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, uh, so, so I, I'm delighted that we're talking about work because it's something that wasn't done historically. There are now quite a lot of books that you can buy um, about working uh, as a Christian, um, but it's better to talk about it and hear about it directly from people. So, so this is uh, <clears throat> a celebration of faith um, in the nine to five. Um, but actually, I think this series is going to be much more than that um, because if we learn what it means to be a Christian in the workplace... We learn what it means to be a Christian, full stop, because we're ambassadors. The workplace is where we are a Christian. It's easy to be a Christian in evenings like this, but actually who we are and what we are shines through in the nine to five. Um, now, everyone always starts these sorts of talks with a definition of work. Um, now, we don't need a definition of work because it's a bit like elephants, you know one when you see it. Um, but because this is an introductory talk, it may be of some benefit to consider what work is um, just in a minute or two. Now, th- th- there's a, a book that I've got by James Sussman, which is the H- History of Work, um, which is very good if you like those sorts of things. Um, and it, it, he gives a very broad definition of work, um, kind of perhaps a scientific definition, which is purposefully expending energy or effort on a task to achieve a goal or an end. So purposefully expending energy or effort, on a task to achieve a goal or end. Now, this is what work is what differentiates inanimate objects from living things. So a world without life has no work. So Venus or Mars, um, it's just rock in it. Um, now, there may well be climate that changes things. There may well be volcanoes that explode. There may well even be tectonic plates that move things around. But ultimately, there's no work. There's just physical stuff that moves around. Um, but contrast that with living things. All life requires work. When a, a snail is crawling up the outside of a window pane. It is purposefully expending energy or effort on a task to achieve a goal or end. What that goal or end may be, we will never know. But the snail knows and will appreciate when it gets there. Um, but um, so, so the, 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 the thing which I want us to hold as we continue on is to remember those two elements to that definition. Um, energy to achieve wants and needs. So there's input, energy, output, wants and needs. <clears throat> but for our purposes, Sussman's definition is probably too broad um, because kind of, if you use that definition, purposefully expending energy or effort on a task to achieve a goal or end, then reading a book is work. Uh, eating food is work. Um, and that's not really what we mean in this context when we're talking about work. So according to uh, Rodney Green, who is one of many Christians who have written books about work, um, he says it's the, the daily exertion paid or unpaid, 
in contrast to rest and leisure. And I think that's probably as good a definition as we're going to come up with. Um, so the, the daily exertion, so energy, paid or unpaid, in contrast to rest and leisure. So it's, it's the stuff that we have to do rather than the stuff we want to do. Now, it may be that we want to do the stuff that we have to do, and that's fine, but ultimately the reason why we do it is because we have to do it. So, so it's the stuff that we have to do rather than the stuff we want to do. But what is it that we have to do? Now, Susman uh, talks about desires and means, and we work in proportion to our needs slash wants. So uh, at one extreme, um, it's estimated that uh, hunter-gatherers um, probably only worked 15 hours a week. Um, their desires were simply to have enough food, and they were very good at getting food. They were very efficient at finding kind of roots and animals and things like that in, in their territory. So, so they actually worked very little, um, just you know, a handful of hours per week. Now, I'm not romanticising that because their dentistry would have been awful uh, and they didn't have toilet roll. So there are lots of things which are much better now than, than, than they had then. But, um, so I'm not romanticising hunter-gatherers, but I'm just making the point that if your needs are low, the energy required to expend it is also low. You don't need to work 80 hours a week um, if all you need is carrots, for example. Um, sorry, that's a, that's a sort of a rabbit work, I suppose. Um, so, 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 but what about us now? So, the point that Susman makes is that the way in which humanity has uh, evolved, has developed, is that we now have infinite desires, but only limited means. So, remember that bit about input and output. So, that you, we have the energy to create what we're aiming for. Well, if, if we're aiming for an enormous amount, then you need an enormous amount of energy to put into it. So what have we done as, as humanity? Um, well, when the energy of one human is insufficient to achieve that individual's needs, what, what did we do? Well, we domesticated cattle to do the work of lots of people, um, or horses to do the work of lots of people. And then when that wasn't enough, we created machines that ran on well, we created machines that would help harvest crops. And when that wasn't enough, we started digging up coal to create steam engines, which created more power. And when that wasn't enough, we dug up oil and we put that in our cars, our trains and our planes. And when that wasn't enough, we got some gas for cooking and heating and, and whatever. And now we're moving on to, well, let's harness the energy of the wind and the sun and the power and the atom. But the problem with infinite desires is that all of that is not going to be enough and as we're knowing the process of using coal and oil and is is doing an awful lot of damage uh, kind of along the way so with that in mind um, let's have a, a quick look at John 5 uh, 17 to 19 um, in which if you have a bible that, that's fine but I'm going to read it out anyway um, so John 5 17 to 19 and it says uh, th th there's an argument about Jesus doing stuff on, on the Sabbath, as ever. Um, so Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
For this reason, the Judeans tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So hold that in mind, and we'll go back to this whole input and output, kind of energy on the one side, needs and wants on the other, desires and means. So when Jesus was at work, he balanced both sides of that equation. And he aligned both sides of that equation with the Father and what the Father was doing. So Jesus' desires were the Father's desires. Jesus' means were the Father's means. Jesus' energy came from the Father and his needs and his wants were aligned with the Father's needs and wants. So his, his, his desires were perfectly attuned to his means. And that's why when you read through the Gospels, you realise Jesus always had time. Whereas we, our, our infinite desires, always exceed our means. The time, and the most obvious one being time. What we want to do doesn't fit into the time we have. Um, and whereas Jesus, both sides of the equation were perfectly attuned. He always had time. Because he did what he heard the Father telling him to do. So what is it that the Father is doing and that Jesus is doing? Well, we don't need to go any further than the Lord's Prayer. We could do a whole sermon on this. But, but the, the prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so how does that work for us? Because when we are doing our, what was it, the, the, our daily exertion, paid or unpaid, in contrast to rest and leisure, we have a mixture of motivations um, because... We are, I don't know, we're not the incarnated son of God for a start. So, so we have a mixture of motivations. We live within this world of infinite needs and limited means. We need money, for example. We need a roof over our heads. We need to put food on the table. So there is, so there is stuff that we have to do. We have needs that need to be met and we work in order to achieve those physical, financial, social needs. But at the same time, alongside all of that stuff, as Christians, we have this extra level, which is doing the Father's will, seeing heaven on earth. And within the confines of the world in which we inhabit, there is a sense in which we are endeavouring through our work to see Jesus' kingdom come. Now, for me, uh, for me, uh, at work, there are three broad elements to that. Um, you'll hear other people say things kind of over the next few weeks. But for, for me, there are three elements, which is the work itself and the kingdom nature of that. The second one is how I interact with people. Um, and then the third one is wider influence, um, both within my firm and, who knows, potentially outside my firm. 
Um, now, first of all, the work itself. Um, I'm a lawyer. Whoop. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Um, so I, I, I'm a lawyer, um, and, and historically there are two strands to my work. So I'm instructed by uh, insurers, by and large, um, and they, they give me two roles to do. The first one is to confirm whether a particular claim is covered by the policy. So, you know, does this insurance policy cover this loss? Um, so, yes, I'm one of them. Um, and then the other one is, if it is covered, defending the, the, the third party that is being sued. So, so I act for uh, solicitors who are being sued for negligence, and I act for construction professionals who are being sued for negligence. Uh, so I, I defend them. At least that's what I've done historically. My role is slightly changing, but that's what it is, has been historically. And I believe that both those elements of, of that role, when done well, are a reflection of God's nature and God's kingdom. Now, the, the way I always like to do this is through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, because what is a shepherd? It's job. It's a job, isn't it? So it's a work. And what Psalm 23 does is it draws out some aspects of a shepherd's job and reflects them onto God. So uh, here is my version uh, of Psalm 23, which is, The Lord is my lawyer. Uh, the Lord is my lawyer. I shall lack nothing. He is available in my hour of need. He advises me and guides my path. He stands in my place and puts into words what I am unable to say. When I am stressed, he calms me. And when I need to hear the truth, he tells it to me. And all of this for a very reasonable hourly rate. Um, so, but, but, but the reality is, whatever... Whatever you do, you can do a Psalm 23 for you. We, we did this exercise on a church weekend away a few years ago, uh, and, and Paul Grover wrote an absolutely brilliant one, which is, The Lord is my bus driver. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. And you suddenly realise that in every job we do, there is a reflection of God's nature. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, so for, for defence work... You know, I act for solicitors and construction professionals and I try to protect their reputations. That's what I try to do. They are being accused of negligence. Um, and what I do is try and get them out of the hole in which they have found themselves. Sometimes they have been negligent, in which case you just need to say, you were negligent, we need to settle this. And sometimes they weren't negligent. And you say, I think we should fight this a little bit. Um, we'll probably end up having to settle it, but that, cause that's the nature of, that's the nature of the world we live in. But nonetheless, it is. So, so, so I think the work itself is a reflection of God's uh, personality and God's character. Uh, how we interact with people is, is the second element. Uh, never been one of my strengths. But, um, but, this, but the, the heavenly nature of our work comes not just from the type of work that we do, but from the way that we do that work. Um, and by and large, that's how we interact with others. Now, it's not just colleagues. Um, it's not just bosses, it's not just people who might report to us, um, it's, it's the people on the other side. So it might be, if you're customer facing, it might be customers. If you're, if you work with suppliers, it might be how you work with suppliers. It's, it's all the people you come into contact, contact with during the course of uh, the work. And it, to be honest, I think this is where being filled with the Holy Spirit because being filled with the Holy Spirit is you're patient, you're kind, you're self-controlled. You're, all of those things are how we interact with people. When we are filled with the Spirit, it is all about how we deal with people and how we interact with people. 
And you can have ungodly pastors, but godly plumbers or proofreaders or pilots. You can have ungodly missionaries, but you can have godly musicians or mechanics or managing directors. You can have ungodly worship leaders, but godly waiters, web designers or warehouse managers. Ungodly bishops, but godly bus drivers, ballet dancers and even bankers. Um, You can manage people in a godly way. You can delegate in a godly way. You can serve in a godly way. You can do appraisals in a godly way. You can do interviews in a godly way. You can sack people in a godly way. You can make people redundant in a godly way. And I've always thought, why don't we teach people, so particularly people in management, why don't we teach people, how do you sack someone in a kind and loving way? Because the decision is a decision that's been made, And it has to be done, and it can be done in a way which reflects the kingdom of heaven. Um, I was going to talk about bounded and open sets, but now I'm not going to. Um, And and then the third element is wider influence. Um, This is all about how we make decisions. People talk about kind of when we're at work and how we make decisions, people will see that. And they will see our values in the decisions that we make. Um, how we choose to spend time between various responsibilities. I personally hate the phrase work-life balance. Uh, we might come on to that later on because it implies that work isn't life and life isn't work. Whereas, as I've already said earlier on, life, the definition of life is work and the work, definition of work is life. Um, the, the two are, are, are in, you know, entwined and in, in ways which cannot be split out. But, but how we choose to use our time, um, do we concentrate on this or do we concentrate on that? So in order to be very good at something, you have to sacrifice something else. That's the nature of infinite desires and limited means. If you want to be a very good, if you want to be the very best lawyer that you can be, or in my case, I wanted to be the very best lawyer I could be, that inevitably meant I worked late, I worked long hours, and I sacrificed some of the family stuff. If I wanted to be the very best father in the world, then I would probably have to either sacrifice some of my career or do a different career. That those are the decisions you make, and people will see the decisions you make, particularly if they if, if they know that you are a Christian, they will watch you and they will see your, your decisions. We have to sacrifice one thing to achieve another. Um, and Jesus, as I've already mentioned, was supremely good at that because he saw what the father was doing, and he both sides of his equation, energy and uh, and, uh, and and needs and desires were balanced. Um, so very specifically, uh, the fascinating thing about business at the moment, and once again, I'd love to go into this in more detail, but I'm not going to, is that in, in the business world, particularly the finance world, there's something called ESG at the moment, so environment, social, governance. So historically, companies, the sole purpose of companies is to generate profit for its shareholders. But increasingly, there is an awareness that is more than that. We have to care for the environment, we have to care for our employees, and we have to have good governance. So whether businesses like it or not, for the first time in my career, moral decisions are being made by managing partners and whatever. And, and that's a fascinating role to be a Christian. So uh, we have a, a belief community at work, which I, I head up um, as part of our diversity and inclusion. Um, and it, for the first time in my career, it is actually not only is it possible to influence the firm, but it's quite easy to influence 
the way in which the firm thinks. And I find that fascinating. Um, my role has changed recently, so I'm more uh, creative. I do more blogs and e-learning and things like that. And I can, uh, and I get, because I have more time than a lot of the other kind of partners who are very, very busy, um, I end up being talking to people on leadership courses and whatever. And it's amazing how you can get away with Christian stuff at leadership courses because, you know, it's, Jesus was a great leader. So you just basically nick stuff from the, the Gospels. Um, so, so that, that's, that's me. I find the work itself is a part of bringing heaven to earth. I find that how I interact with people is about bringing heaven to earth. And the wider influence is about bringing heaven to earth. Um, the very first verb in the Bible is to create. Um, and what God created through creation was good. When we create good stuff, whether that is the work itself, our interaction with people, or our wider influence, we bring heaven to earth. And speaking very personally, my work is where, over the years, I have most easily and most frequently met with God. Amen. <laughs>